Welcome to the Randy Selzer Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss important topics for buyers, sellers, and investors in the Toronto area real estate market. Here's your host, Randy Selzer. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to my YouTube channel and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. Dr. Adam Gower is joining us today. He is a real estate professional uh, of over 30 years standing. He's based down in Los Angeles, and he has a a huge background in commercial real estate with over $1.5 billion in commercial real estate investment and finance experience. Today, he builds digital marketing systems for real estate professionals who want to raise equity capital. And uh, his clients handle in excess of $35 billion in assets under management and have raised hundreds of millions of dollars using his systems. He's taught about 5,000 individuals how to build wealth, preserve capital, and earn passive income from investing in real estate. And he himself has over $7 billion uh, of experience transacting real estate with high net worth individuals, major institutions, and banks. Welcome, Adam. Nice to have you on board today. Yeah, and all of that at my young age. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can relate to that. (laughs) And you're still doing it, man. You're still here, you know? I know exactly right. I'm on the treadmill. Well, I'll tell you something. We are at a very interesting uh, point, I think, in the real estate market right now. Uh, One of the things that I, I talk to people every day, I'm still a working realtor. And uh, I've never seen, I don't have 30 years, but I've got over 25. And I've never seen more uncertainty in the market, uh, both for commercial real estate and for residential real estate, both with the public in general, with realtors, with bankers, with with lenders. Uh, I think even, and I'm up in Canada, I'm just outside of Toronto, so I'm up in Canada, Uh, but, uh, and you're in LA, right? Uh, Right. But I think there are similarities, even though real estate markets are definitely local, uh, there are some similarities. I think there's stuff going on around the world right now. So uh, nobody seems to know where we're headed. I mean, we've got we've been through some interesting times. We had zero to low interest rates for several years before the pandemic. Then we went through the pandemic, and there's been trends from that that are still playing out. I think people working from home has done a big number on, on office buildings downtown, that's for sure, in any city. And so give me your thoughts. Let's talk a little bit about where you think the market's headed. I think there's some changes afoot for sure, uh, but nobody seems to be absolutely sure where we're headed. Well, you know, so it's a really interesting, Randy, it's a really interesting question. And to answer it, I'm just going to spin back in time briefly before looking forward. So what's happened in the market with the uh, increase in interest rates is there's a few impacts on investor sentiment. First of all, stop values have gone down so people are feeling like they have less wealth uh inflation has gone up although that seems to be taming a little bit but nevertheless that's eroding the value of savings and because of interest rates we're also seeing a downward pressure on home prices so people are feeling that their primary residence is not worth as much as it was yesterday and are reluctant to move anyway because to sell a property that you might have a you know a sub three percent interest rate in to move up to something that's a seven percent interest rate creates severe market friction. So what we're seeing, and our work is primarily in commercial real estate investing, right? So what is colloquially called crowdfunding. Uh, what we're seeing is a slowdown in investor interest in uh, the 
bull market type investments that they're seeing where you have yes. you know good good uh, you know where you've got sponsors advertising um, equity good good returns equity multiples or irrs or you know pre even preferred uh preferred uh returns that type of investing has become less appealing and what investors are looking for more today are two things one protection of their investment they want to be sure that what they're investing in has solid downside protection and two they're looking for opportunistic uh, acquisitions in other words deals where values have come down and there's an opportunity what what i call wealth a wealth transfer opportunity where somebody who underwrote a deal uh with too optimistic uh underwriting is now going to lose that deal and there is an opportunity for a new investor to come in or new investors to come in uh, to capitalize on that misjudgment now your question was where are we going so so we talk to a lot of investors individual investors and also to a lot of sponsors and the general consensus is that towards the end of this year we're going to see that's when we're going to see much of the uh, opportunities emerge what much of the discounted distressed investment opportunities emerge particularly as loan maturities uh, reach their walls uh, and that will spread out into the early parts of next year now uh, it's, so the first two quarters of next year now there is something very interesting that's uh, just recently uh, been announced and that is that regulators uh, the banking regulators in the U.S. have indicated to banks that they should uh, be more favorable to loan extensions or loan accommodations for commercial real estate. That is oh, happening here, too. So yes. what that is signaling is that they the only reason that regulators would do that is, is if they believe that the cycle is the down cycle is likely to be short so what they're looking for is an extension of these loans to outrun uh, any kind of downturn and what i think that also suggests uh, is an anticipated reversal of uh, fed policy and a reduction in interest rates after another couple of increases that we're likely to see before the end of the year because as soon as that happens what you're going to see is an explosion or a a return to the markets of equity uh, right. capital searching for opportunistic acquisitions before prices rise and so that will in itself trigger a rise in uh, in values uh, and uh, opportunistic investments will likely, I want to say, pat, patter, pitter, I can't, pitter away. Pitter, pitter, patter. Start going away. Yeah. I can't, I can't you know, what's away. interesting, that I think that's exactly happening here as well. Um, where the confusion comes in is now the Fed in the US has been very hawkish all along. They've, they've said exactly they're out, they want to kill that inflation beast. Uh, they're raising interest rates. They want interest, I guess, down to 2% or whatever their target goal is the core so-called core inflation um and we have the bank of canada here which is our canadian equivalent of the fed in the us um and i also happen to believe that all the central banks in england and europe and japan and all, all these places they all australia they all they all coordinate they don't act on their own i think they know what they're doing 
Uh, but the U.S. has always been hawkish, so they kind of told the truth. The Canadian, the Bank of Canada, earlier this year, the, the, the governor of the Bank of Canada said, don't worry, we're not going to raise interest rates anymore this year. We believe it's plateaued, and we're looking forward to reducing rates by the end of 24. That was like just back in February. Then they went and increased rates anyways in June last month by a quarter point, and they have a meeting. The Bank of Canada has a meeting tomorrow on July the 12th, and we're, everyone is expecting another quarter point increase. So what happened, though, this year is exactly what you're talking about. When people heard from the bank, excuse me, the Bank of Canada, they thought, great, that's it. We're at the end of the tightening cycle. They're, they're going to stay flat or they could start going down by the end of the year. So people went out. They started buying assets. They started buying commercial properties. They started buying houses because the psychology changed. They figured, well, we're at the, you know, it's not going to get any worse. We have to do this or we have, for a house. We have to live somewhere. And people went out and the market really took off for about three months. It really did. Prices started going up again. Just what you said. It triggered it. Then our Bank of Canada surprised everybody. Because, again, they're following the Fed's lead. The Fed raised rates a couple of times. And I'm sure they're coordinating this. They have to be. Uh, so they raised rates once in June. And now I believe they're going to do it again today. And meanwhile, the market has cratered again, uh, both mm. for residential and commercial. Think, think It's just it's a psychology where people are not sure. And when they're not sure, they don't want to take any big risks. And so that's where we're at up here. It's just because our Bank of Canada governor is a little flakier than your guy down with the Fed. Yeah, so, so yeah, so there is I agree with you. There is yeah. definitely uncertainty in the market. But what we do see is a strong interest from investors in like what I called either opportunistic or distressed real estate opportunities. And that's, that's really it's the idea is that, uh, you know, the thought is that for the one step back that you might be taking, you can take two with the with the decline in values, especially if you're already active in the market mm. you can take two steps forwards with uh investing in uh in a distress deal now what are you seeing in terms of now your uh your specialty is uh residential right randy so what yeah, are you yeah. seeing primarily yeah well uh, a residential again, single family or multi-family both both uh the toronto is uh it's a lot of high-rise condos here a lot sort of like chicago in a way there's a lot of high-rise living uh, and you can talk about multifamily too, although that kind of blurs the line uh, between residential and commercial. But um, prices went down. They definitely went down about 20% when since the rates started going up last year. And that's a big hit. because 20%, prices, did you say? Yeah, prices yeah, yeah. come down now 20%. I, yeah, I'm talking in Toronto. There's the two big cities here are Toronto and Vancouver for uh, real estate. Uh, Vancouver's out on the West Coast and we're sort of in the center. There's other cities as well. But... Um, yeah, and we have been on a tear up here in Canada. Prices, we never went through the big drop that you guys went through in 2008. There was a mm -hmm. slowdown, but we didn't have a crash the way real estate crashed in the U.S. Um, there's tons of immigration coming in here. Uh, they've actually uh, just announced that there were record numbers of immigrants uh, in 2022 and also in the first uh, half of 2023, where Canada's population is just skyrocketing. So, but you're uh, seeing a 20% decline in... There residential in, values in single family homes in and that's in the, that's in the city of toronto but again real estate is so localized that mm -hmm. there are parts in the in the heart of the city where that didn't happen 
But in the suburbs where I'm located, yeah, it's about 20%. And uh, so what is going on with the supply? Because one of the factors that is tempering the downturn in yes. single family is this point I made originally, which was that there's very people are unwilling to sell because to buy something else, you're looking at a significantly higher mortgage. So supply is very, very limited. And that yes. is what's propping up values values are coming down there's no doubt about that but not precipitously as you might expect adam you are right on the money uh definitely there is a shortage of supply uh i'm not sure why immigration has part to do with it but it's more than that uh there's all sorts of problems in, in where i live and work uh with uh red tape delays uh it can take a developer in toronto uh, five years to get a building permit, mm -hmm. five years for a, a high rise downtown. And it's built up, it's a large city and there's some protected areas, which I'm okay with or parkland and stuff that they should not be building on. Uh, but there's plenty of land. It's just, there's, it's, it's like inertia and a lot of red tape. You're dealing with municipal governments. So you got the federal government that are letting in immigrants. You got the provincial government that are setting policy, like the state government, the provincial government that are setting policy, uh, on uh, real estate. And then you got municipal governments that are all tied up in red tape. We got NIMBYs, the whole thing. So that's definitely part of the problem. And then you've got discrepancies within the country. It's a big country, much smaller population than the US, but there are areas of Canada that are very affordable still. So people are moving do out. A, do you see a Canadian residents looking to invest in the US? What yes. Oh, yeah. And what are they looking at? Well, there's there's a wide range. I mean, you've got your typical snowbirds. We call them snowbirds, where they're older, you know, over fifties, and they're they're financially secure. They go to Florida every winter, and they want to buy either a condo or a house or a townhouse of some kind. Do property management during the rest of the year when they're not there. Uh, so there's a big selection of that. But you've also got there's a lot of cash out there, a lot of cash, and uh, they're all it's all looking for a place to go. So you've got investors, heavy duty investors here in my area that are buying up multifamily properties in Nebraska or wherever, you know, uh, because that's, you know, it's a, it's a thing now. And they see in, in spite of the difference in the two dollars, they're seeing opportunities in the U.S. right now that may not exist. What, in kind of yields, what kind of yields can you get to cap rates do you see on multifamily in Canada? Oh, you know what? Again, I'm not right. I can't give you up to date stuff on that because I'm not a commercial guy. I could look it up, but uh, uh, I can tell you from friends of mine that are, who are heavy duty investors right now, they're saying we're not buying here. It's not, it's not, the numbers don't make sense. So they're buying out in smaller cities in other areas. And I just don't want to give you a number that's wrong. Do you, yeah, that's fine. Do you see any distress in, uh, in Canada? No. Well, there's a number of things going on. Um, again, with the increase, in uh mortgage rate in mortgage rates over the past uh 15 months or six well, 18 months uh we have a slightly different financial system here than the us in the us when you and residential when you buy a house you typically take out a 30-year mortgage correct and that mortgage is fixed for 30 years the rate whatever you take it out at is fixed for 30 years in canada we have the 30-year amortization so it's paid off over 30 years but the mortgage requires a renewal typically every five years. And you have to renew that interest rate every five years at whatever the current rates are. So the problem that a lot of consumers have today who took out a mortgage five years ago when mortgage rates were 2%, now they're having to renew at 5.5%, which are the current rates. So they're getting killed. 
they're getting killed. And the banks, uh, to your point, which you mentioned earlier about how the banks are are being kind of instructed to be uh, friendly. Uh, the banks here, I believe, are just from anecdotal evidence. You're not going to read about it in the newspaper. But what they're doing is they are, for people who are in distress, uh, having to go from 2% mortgage to 5.5%, they are extending the amortization out beyond 30 years to 40, to 50, I've heard even to 60-year amortization mm. in order to keep the payments low. Now, in my book, if you're, if, if you're, paying, a, uh, if you're paying down a 60-year mortgage, that's renting, I think. You know, you're just all you're doing is paying interest. Plus, you get to pay taxes and insurance and and utilities. But that's they're they're doing that quietly. I know that for a fact. Uh, not multiple banks are doing that quietly, just to keep people. They don't want foreclosures. They don't want that. So they're doing everything that they can for existing mortgage holders to so are you uh, stay, seeing, uh, stay. Are in you house. seeing increase in uh, single family supply or because of these interest rate fluctuations or not? Are people selling or is there a risk? Uh, a dearth of supply. That's a that's the crystal ball. That's the million dollar question right there. Until the last month, uh, we've had a shortage of supply. It's been at historically low levels. The number of MLS listings has been at twenty year lows, twenty five year lows. The, there's fewer houses for sale today than there was in two thousand and three, and and the population is double what it was in two thousand three. However. Uh, with this latest increase in June, we are seeing that the supply has started to ramp up a little bit, whether that's a trend or not. It's so difficult. People ask me this every day to read the tea leaves. And again, we have a potential, uh, further interest rate increase tomorrow. They have their, their, their meeting tomorrow, uh, July the 12th. Uh, so they may increase in another quarter point or they may not. It's, it, nobody really knows. But yes. What else, so, what, what, what else would you like to know uh, from from this side of the board? Well, I'm rambling on here. I'm doing all the talking here, Adam. I, I better shut up and let you do the talking because. But that's sort of the situation, and we're kind of it's two different countries, but we're in the same boat. We really are. I think these are global issues. The low interest rates were there well before the pandemic. The pandemic was worldwide. Uh, all the trends you're seeing, like working from home, which I think is not going to last. I personally think that if you're a large corporation and you have an office tower downtown, how on earth can you enforce corporate culture if your staff are working from home? You know, how can, how can you get that corporate culture, get them to buy into it? If everybody's working from home or if they come in one day a week or two days a week, you cannot get them to buy into that. And at that point, they're just a contract worker. They're doing the job you're paying them, but there's no loyalty there. Um, that's my, my personal view. I used to work for a big company, a big US company before I got into real estate. And they were the master, the absolute master at getting people to buy in to that corporate culture where you felt we are something special here uh, working at this company. And that it was I thought I still think about it today, 30 years later, 25 years later, uh, man, they knew what they were doing. Only the Americans know how to do that. They're just well, awesome. Well, what we see is that in terms of the office market, like you say, there's you know pockets of, of, of variance, obviously across the averages but there are definitely two distinct worlds when it comes to office uh, the we have clients who own large parts of downtown la and then we have others who are own uh, large office portfolios in florida and okay. la has been hit especially badly uh, okay. but florida is hitting 
95 plus percent occupancy rates. Uh, wow. People are renewing smaller leases, but uh, higher rents and more people moving into Florida. So there's a lot of influx in Florida. It's two completely different worlds when it comes to office. And one of the key drivers uh, of the office market nationwide that is consistent nationwide is the availability of amenities. If you've got an older B or C office building that just has, you know, a bit of parking and yep. corridors to offices, those buildings are really suffering. It's the ones that are replete with amenities like restaurants and play areas and community areas, and outdoor areas and balconies and uh, and gyms and, you know, what audio video, video rooms, anything that has modern amenities those are the ones that are drawing uh, uh tenants back interesting very interesting um i can tell you i believe this is correct i know years toronto's always had a strong uh, uh office a very low vacancy rate with their office towers i believe five years ago it was like three percent it was tiny it was very strong today i just read in the paper maybe a week ago it's up to 18 percent vacancy rate so that's a huge a huge jump. They're still building some towers, but I think that's about it for this cycle. I don't think you're going to see much more after that. So, but that's a very interesting thing that that people are looking for that all the bells and whistles. Do you think that's a millennial thing, or do you think that's just it's no? A I just thing? think that it's the way that uh, look. If you're competing with somebody who is working from home, at home you have the comforts of home. You have, right, you've you've got a lot of conveniences, uh, and the other big factor is commute. People don't want oh. to commute as much as they did uh, so you really have to be able to entice them now the counter point to that is the tenants uh, like, like those that provide good amenities restaurants and other uh, services that you might see in an office building are reluctant to come back until they see uh, uh, until they see uh, um, tenants or um, occupancy increase because they don't want to commit to a long lease if they think that there aren't the people uh, who are going to from the building itself that's going right. to service the building now i will tell you something interesting so one of our clients uh told us that one of their buildings lost uh during the pandemic and subsequently has not recovered lost over two million to the uh, dollars to the bottom line right straight yeah. to the bottom line from strictly from parking revenues so if you think about all i don't know what it's like in toronto but in most of the msas in the states if you go to a uh an office building you right. are going to park in the building and they're going to charge you know for 20, a fortune dollars uh, exactly. an hour and you might get uh validation right from whoever it is that you're visiting but even though that is paid for uh by the tenant. So the tenant is paying the landlord to be able to hand these out for free. So basically the landlord is getting the parking revenues. So what happened during the pandemic and is yet to recover is that, first of all, a te tenants started to vacate their premises. So that reduced off uh, parking use. Visitors stopped and visitors stopped going to the offices because they weren't actively being used so right. now you have these huge parking structures that were generating cash straight to the bottom line from revenues for parking that are now largely vacant 
And that's another factor that has impacted office profitability, especially in some of the major MSAs where they have parking. Interesting. Very interesting. So it's sort of a chain reaction in some ways. Um, yeah, exactly. I think and then you also have the impact of reduced taxes and there's just a lot of impact. It's a, yep. a major the shift. Restaurants in the area, they've only got half the people coming through that they did before because there's only a, a trickle of people coming in. Yeah, no, I hear that. I hear that all the time. And yet, let's talk about restaurants. There are pockets like we went, there's Mississauga is where I am. It's, it's a suburb of Toronto. It's on the Western end and it's a very diverse kind of place. People from all around the world. Uh, we went on Friday night, we went for Chinese food. We went, there's a, there's a plaza, a large plaza with a large parking lot. And there's about 30 different Chinese restaurants there. Mandarin, Cantonese, there's dim sum places, there's Mongolian barbecue, Korean places, there's everything, Japanese, there's sushi places. It's all Asian. And there's got to be 30 restaurants there. We went Friday night, massive parking lot was packed. It was full. Every restaurant, we didn't have a reservation. Everything was packed and full. I thought to myself and to my, the lady that was with me, this doesn't look like a recession. This doesn't look like a downturn. It's a Friday night in July in the suburbs. Maybe the economy is better than we think, you know, because you, there's so much doom. And I'm kind of shifting gears here, but there's so much mm. doom and gloom that especially if you read in the in the newspaper, you know, a recession is expected. The interest rates are going to cause all this trouble. And yet I, I go to this place with 30 restaurants. They're all packed in July, which, you know, really people might be doing. Something well, else. you know, but this is the other factor is that although we are seeing some hospitality distress, despite. Uh, Despite that and these pockets of hospitality distress, what we are also seeing is very, and it's unusual because during a downturn, hospitality is one of the things that typically first suffers the worst and, uh, yeah, and is one of the first to go. But there is, there's a lot of, like you say, there's a lot of cash. People have, even though they don't feel as wealthy as they did, they're not moving. Uh, they they do have savings. There's a lot of money in the economy that was uh, uh, introduced through the various stimuli during the pandemic. And people are traveling. It's kind of a, it's like a, a, a reaction to having been stuck at home for a couple of years. Now people are traveling. So hospitality and entertainment are still robust. And in part, this is surely what the Fed in the States is seeing is just this hot. Plus, you've also got uh, almost to uh, <clears throat> almost uh, full employment. There's very little impact on unemployment. So you people go. still have money in their pockets. They're still traveling. They're still eating out. They're still looking for entertainment. Even if they're not moving homes, the, the economies, particularly in the U.S., is still very, very strong. I'm telling you, man, it's a weird time that we're living through. Mm -hmm. And uh, you hear some people you talk to are very bearish. Uh, I'm not in that camp, although there's some risk, I think. I think there's definite risk in uh, right now with various asset classes. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's absolutely right. I know people have gone on like three or four trips already this year. It's like, you're right. They were locked up for two years with COVID and now they're just gone ballistic. So it's all going on. And, and labor shortages... Here in my area, in the greater Toronto area, there are huge shortages of labor, not just for low-paying jobs, but for good jobs, for high-paying jobs, technical, you know, IT workers, stuff like that. They can't find enough people. So, one bit, Randy, let me ask you, what do you think your audience would like to know about, uh, the, you know, the what I'm doing or what what, what else okay. is going on or what opportunities? Let, 
All right. Let, okay. Let's talk about opportunities. I was yeah, doing that. Uh, so what, I, do you think, what do you think your, uh, yeah, your audience would like to know? I mean, I just finished okay. writing a book. We could talk about that, whatever you want. I'd love to talk about that. Here's one question for you that, that might, um, okay. So there's a lot of people in Canada that want to, are looking to invest in the U S they're looking around. There's different possibilities there. If someone were to call you up or call one of your staff up and say, look, we're from Canada, we're from Vancouver, you know, we'd like to buy a commercial, some kind of commercial enterprise. Obviously, there's different things in Southern California. What would you tell them? What would you tell them as a as a very first step of what they should do or shouldn't do? So the, I would. So the best thing that you can do. Uh, look, and I'm not an investment advisor. Right. Just to be clear. Oh, sh- the, oh come on. The best, now, option, sure. yeah. uh, the best option is uh, the changes in the regulations here that allow for online syndication. And this uh, happened some years ago, or over 10 years ago. Uh, you now have the opportunity to invest in commercial real estate deals that you would never have had the opportunity to do before. So instead of looking for small commercial properties that are going to be difficult to manage long right. distance, uh, you're better off looking at uh, seasoned sponsors who are raising capital to acquire uh, or refinance major Excuse commercial me. properties through what is colloquially called crowdfunding. So some of the asset classes that are particularly interesting, particularly today, are distressed real estate. So typically you're not going to have access to discounted, discounted distressed real estate. And even if you did, uh, working through the problems that distress has is very, very complicated, time consuming, requires experience and often requires considerable investment that you might not anticipate going in, especially if you don't have experience of dealing with it. There's a various ways you can do that. You can either buy a building that has uh, direct, you know, direct, you can invest in a building that itself is directly distressed or you can acquire the loan it's, it's called the notes you can buy the loan sure. from a bank sure. and some, of our banking, right. some of our banking uh friends are already beginning to sell notes so you can buy notes in which case you would step into the shoes of the lender but you don't have direct access in those cases of course to the real estate but there are a lot of seasoned professionals who understand the world of distressed real estate and who you can invest with. So rather than investing with an individual in an individual deal and trying to find something, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. You can find uh, sponsors, multiple sponsors across the country who are uh, finding distressed opportunities and invest a small amount with each of them. So the first thing that you want to do, if you're going to do that, you got to assess the sponsor, make sure that they are seasoned, experienced, know what they're doing, incredible. So that means that in all likelihood, they need to have been through this before, which means that their shop needs to have been around at least uh, before the global financial crisis of 2007 and on. That's the first thing that you want to look for. Once you find somebody that has that kind of experience and track record, uh, then you can take a look at the deals that they're offering. And in many cases, they'll either or there, there are two ways that they will offer opportunities to 
individual investors. One is in individual deals. So they will offer an individual, they'll put a, a they will make uh, available individual investment opportunities to in uh, two individuals or two investors that you can invest in directly as a limited partner, or they might put together a fund. And with a fund, you have the benefits of diversification. The challenge with the fund, of course, though, is that you don't know going in exactly what deals they're going to be investing in. They'll, they, they will give you an investment thesis and tell you the kinds of deals that they'll be looking for in the fund. But they expect you to make a commitment before you know exactly what deals are in 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 the uh, in the fund. And that's why it's important to first get to know who the sponsor is, get comfortable with the sponsor uh, and then make an investment. And the nice thing about doing it that way is that if you've got one hundred thousand or two hundred, five hundred thousand or a million dollars, you can spread your risk across a range of asset types, asset classes. So office, multifamily, self-storage, data centers, medical office, you name it. I mean, we deal with every single asset class. So first of all, you can diversify across asset class. Secondly, you can diversify across sponsors. So you can invest with multiple sponsors. And the third thing is you can you can invest across a range of geographical locations. So you can really get a pretty good exposure with mitigated downside risk investing in distressed real estate if you invest a relatively small amount with seasoned sponsors across uh, a range of uh, of investment okay. opportunities. Okay. So that's what I would recommend. And that is actually exactly what my uh my new book is about. I don't have a I don't actually have a copy. It's just an ebook at the moment. Okay. Uh, but what's I will be name? publishing. Adam, what's the name of the book? It's called The Reality uh, the Reality of Distressed Real Estate. Okay. Uh and by Adam uh, Gower. Yeah. It's uh, you can actually find it on my website at gowercrowd.com. It's on the homepage. It's a $7 book. If you're not happy with it, I'll give you seven bucks back. But uh, it's uh, it's very detailed and it's based on my 30 plus years of experience. Plus, also, uh, Randy, you know, I've been through these downturns, uh, two major downturns throughout my career. The first one was in the early 90s. And that was actually when I lost uh, all the all the wealth that I thought I'd built up in that the 80s. That was just before my time, but I had bought it. There was a big crash here in 1989. So mm -hmm. similar. I think U.S., Canada, the same that time. And we bought our first house in 91 because we thought, oh, well, it's, it's coming back. But it took till 1996 for mm -hmm. house prices to get back to where they that were. in Yeah. Long, and then the, seven, second seven downturn, the, the second downturn that I had experience of uh, very much so was the global financial crisis that started right. in 2007. And at that time, uh, I was hired into, I fortunately sold out my portfolio in 07. So I had no uh, legacy problems and um, uh, and uh, I had dry powder, but I was brought into uh, a uh, major bank to help them clean their balance sheet. And so my job at that time was to look at all the loans, the real estate collateralized loans that were no longer performing. In other words, the borrowers had stopped paying on them to sell those loans. Uh, to uh, to investors. So I saw every possible way that real estate can go bad across every single asset class uh, and how people made huge fortunes buying those deals. But it is high risk and very 
It's a very sophisticated play because when somebody stops paying on their mortgage for a commercial real estate property, they will start cutting costs everywhere. And once you get into the deal and you start looking around, plus you also have very limited access to an asset when it's distressed uh, before you actually buy. So you've got to price that into your underwriting. Uh, it's inevitable that you start to find problems that were not necessarily apparent like deferred maintenance or who knows what uh, might be hidden underneath the hood that you just don't expect. Right. Plus, there's a higher chance of litigation uh, because you're, yes. if you're stepping into the shoes of a lender, uh, you never know. The borrower might choose to declare bankruptcy or play all kinds of games uh, to prevent you from getting access to the real estate. So you've really got to know what you're doing when you're playing the distressed well, but that is exactly what uh, the book Reality is all about. Uh, well, again, you can, if you don't mind me plugging it again, you I'll, can find it. Go, go right ahead. And I am definitely going to put a link to your website underneath the YouTube video and also on the podcast as well. Absolutely. Lovely. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Randy. I really appreciate you having me. Uh, it's a pleasure, uh, Adam. Yeah, it's, I'm glad we finally got to meet and uh, you're welcome to come back on the podcast anytime. Well, thanks for having me, Randy. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Randy Selzer Real Estate Podcast. Follow us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And check out our main website at randyselzer.com for much more valuable info on the Canadian real estate scene.